Good morning. Welcome to Holiday Inn. <laughs> Who knows, this might be our last Sunday here. Yeah. Well, my goodness, I figured somebody would say glory or something. <laughs> I know, I know you don't want to get your hopes up, do you? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I appreciate us being able to have this place, though. I'm thankful for it. Let's uh, look in Proverbs chapter 31, if you would, today, verse 10. I greet you today in the name of the Lord, and it's truly a great privilege for us to be together. I know we say it a lot, but I say it a lot because I mean it. It's a true privilege for us to be able to assemble together. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, we'll read down through verses 12. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil. What a great testimony. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Let's bow our heads together. Ask the Lord to help us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us today. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we've been having the opportunity to assemble here. We're grateful. We pray that you bless the holiday and the staff, managers, for their kindness to us, Lord. We're asking today that you would help us in this service, Father, that you'd speak to us. and You know every one of our needs. You're the only one that can take this service and fit it in such a way that every hungry heart would be ministered to. The sick in body, the weary in spirit, maybe it'll people lost, some needing the Holy Ghost, some in their home, financially, whatever their needs would be. We bring our petitions before you today and we ask you that you would help us. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Dear God, be mindful of your people today. Help me that I can get out of the way. Speak through me the words of life, I pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Considering that this is wrote about a woman like Bathsheba, which is not very well thought of amongst many religious ranks, it makes it quite outstanding that Solomon would write such words about his mother. A woman with a lot of trouble. A woman with a lot of issues that she had to deal with, no doubt, in her life. Uh, as I was studying this week, my mind went back to this quote. It's been a while since I'd read it. I think it sets forth the epitome, really the summation of 
a lot of our lives. So when the world falling apart, the prophet said, we want everything just so we can take it easy and retire and take life easy. Life wasn't intended to be easy. I don't know about most of you, but easy. Apparently the PA system ain't meant to be easy to operate either, is it? So life wasn't intended to be easy. Life is a struggle. Anything that's got life, he said, is struggling. Look at the trees, how they struggle. Look at everything that's got life. It's a struggle. But why is it that we want it easy? There's something about us, don't we? How many would much rather have life easier? Easier every day. Me too. I mean, I'd put up both legs if I could stand. I, I wish things about my life was easier. I wish things about your life. I wish things about just about life in general was easier. But yet, we have a vindicated prophet telling us that it was not intended to be easy. So when I look at this, I realize there's a portion of me that is longing for when life will be easy. It won't be now. But when I look at this and I think it's no wonder that God would allow trouble and difficulty and hardships and things to come our way because you know how it is with most of us probably. We go through one thing of life and we get it taken care of and thing is pretty good and then we don't get to enjoy that hardly a day or so that something else comes up. And sometimes it can be even worse than what you're dealing with the day before. Disappointments and sadness and sorrow and sickness and trouble. It just seems like it's one thing after another. Anybody that way besides me? Well, praise the Lord, I don't feel so strange then. And yet, when you look at this, you realize that life then was not intended to be easy. Now, I want you to listen to what he goes on to say. When we try to get some type of a system that takes it easy, then we are wrong. Wow. <laughs> I guarantee you one thing, I'm probably wrong about a lot of things, but I ain't wrong about this. Because I've never found a system myself to where life was easy. He says, whenever we try to get some kind of a system that takes it easy, then we're wrong, and we know there's something wrong. So if life was not intended to be easy, then I wonder when God allows difficult times to come our way, we know truly they must be for a reason and a purpose. Doesn't mean we enjoy it. Doesn't mean we like it. Doesn't mean that we look forward to it. But yet God is able to take things that happen in our lives that can seem absolutely so destructive and so devastating that we will never get over it. I'm sure there's people sitting here today and people under the sound of my voice in different parts of the world and you face things in your life and you thought, there is no way I'll ever be able to get over this. 
I'll never be the same. This has scarred me. This has hindered me for the rest of my life. And yet you look back today and you think, well, I thought it did, but actually it didn't. So how did that turn out? Well, God helped you with that situation. But we realize that many people don't do so good with life's problems. You know, if you've ever studied much about serial killers and you've studied about those that come to a place to where they can take human life and not feel any remorse, they don't feel any sadness, they can lie, they can cheat, they can steal, they can do all kinds of things and it's like they have no conscience at all. And we truly believe we're living in a time when people's conscience is being seared with a hot iron, as the scripture tells us that it would be. And yet, they get to a place where they could take one life and another and another, and then they become what is identified as a serial killer. Then they study these type of people, and what I've found in looking at some of them myself, is that things happen to them early on in life. And maybe they were very awkward in society. A lot of them, the predominant ones that are serial killers are males, 25 to 45. Many of them drive a certain type of vehicle. I won't tell you what kind it is. They drive a certain type of vehicle and they, there are certain traits about them. Now, I, I, find that, I find that amazing to see that they live in different parts of the world and yet there's a certain demagogue about them and a certain mannerism about them. Most of them that will kill women, they had a very hard time ever getting a girlfriend. They had a very hard time ever being able to speak to women, feel very comfortable being around them. And it's like they're taking revenge on every woman that they kill. And it's something that happened within them. Those of you that have been following the four murders out in Idaho and the suspect that they have uh, in jail and all that, and they begin to look at the man's life and they saw this same pattern that I just described to you. He was never able to talk to girls. He was always uh, strange as some of them identified him and, and did not fit in society. And they begin to shape something in the mind and the life of that individual. Now, there's no doubt in my mind there's people sitting here this morning were it not for the grace of God by some of the things that we've been through, we would be worse shaped than some of them people you read about in the newspaper. But what makes the difference? The Lord got a hold of our lives. Because you see, Satan knew once he broke into the human race, all he would need to do is start defiling the first few people on the earth. Then they would continue to hand down that sort of thing. I don't know if you've ever really looked at it or not, but I've looked at it myself quite a bit in those that molest kids and the way that it starts. And it's very... It's very traumatic and it could be so devastating. But what I found out for many of them, a great percentage of those who will molest kids were also molested themselves. And then you look back, so that one who molested them was also molested. So it's like it's an unending cycle that Satan started so many, many years ago. And all he has to do, he doesn't have to come up and send these demons every year, every month to start reinstigating all this evil in the human race, but he starts it way back yonder thousands of years ago. And people get in that cycle, then they live out what happened to them. 
And what's peculiar about it is most of them absolutely hate it. They hate what happened to them. They so despise it. It wrecked their life. It totally turned their life upside down. And yet they turn around and become the very thing they hate. Now don't sit there and look at me strange. But as being a pastor and counseling lots of people down through the years, decades of my life that I've given to the gospel here and around the world, and I've found that many people, if they're not careful, they will become, if it's a man and he had a father that was a certain, certain way, what's amazing is that many of those men that they despise, those certain traits about their father, they turn right around and become the same thing. And a woman will do exactly the same thing, though they hate it, but it's like it's something ingrained in them. It's like they are groomed by their DNA. They are groomed by mythology. And they come down and it's a method that it's over and over again. And we repeat ourselves. And we know as human beings that we are creatures of habit. And much of what we will become years later in our life we gain that influence when we are very, very young. So it takes something to break that cycle. So some of you, you may look around and say, well, I wish I could see a miracle. If you brushed your teeth this morning and looked in the mirror, you saw one. Because no telling what's in your family tree and what all kinds of strains are in your family, and yet you sit here today different. Thank God. I'm glad that I'm not what runs in my family on both sides. Come on, they don't sit there and look at me like y'all come from a bunch of angels. You did, the kind that ride motorcycles. Not with the one with wings on their backs, but they wore leather jackets and you know all them type of helmet types of things. But yet we look and see that God is able to take people like us, people like this that we look at like Bathsheba, that was brought to the palace against her will. She appears in the first pages of scripture that we find her name, and it's not with a great introduction to the king. It's not with a great party that she went to with her husband, and she was met in some political affair, but she was met in an adulterous relationship with King David. Her husband is killed. She's separated from her stepchildren. She's forced to marry a man that she does not love. David does not love her as a man should love a woman when he marries her. But David lusts after her beauty. No doubt he would have left her alone if she had not come up with a child. Then David has to come up with a conniving, evil, wicked plan to kill her husband. So she loses her husband, she loses her stepchildren, she loses her way of life, she loses all of this because one of God's great men fell into sin. Praise the Lord. But remember God had already made an everlasting covenant with David and he said from the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. So David's sin could never even break that covenant that God made. I'm glad God's got one like that with the bride too. But it doesn't mean that David doing wrong, he did not reap greatly. And he would for the rest of his life. And so did Bathsheba. 
But before we go into her a little bit more, let's look into a, another woman in the Bible that we're all very familiar with. We don't know her name. Apparently it's not significant. Uh, but she was the woman at the well. And we all know that this woman was a very famous woman. Jesus uh, spoke things to her. He hadn't even spoken to his disciples. He shared things about himself to this woman and she was the first one to even know about it. And their meeting was quite unusual. It's a connecting time. St. John 4, chapter 6, verse uh, 6 rather. Now Jacob's well was there and Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well and it was about the sixth hour. And there was come a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Now to save time, we'll jump down to verse 15. The woman saith unto him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, go call thy husband and come hither. Now notice, go call thy husband. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. Thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou hast, now hast, is not thy husband. So she's living with a man. Most of us would not even speak to this woman. We wouldn't want our great reputation to be tainted. But Jesus' reputation is made among this type of people. I hope we never get so goody-goody that we can't reach out to this type Amen. of people. Now, notice in verse 19, then the woman says unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now, myself reading the Bible since a little boy, I never understood this scripture. I never understood why Jesus said, what he said, and I never understood why he went the direction that he went until I came to the message. And then one which was a window into the realm of the supernatural actually opened to us for the first time what Jesus actually did. Paul never mentioned what Jesus was doing. Peter never mentioned it. Uh, none, none of the rest of the New Testament writers have I ever found ever actually mentioned what Jesus did. But what Jesus was doing was contacting this woman's spirit, not her soul, not her body. Now listen to what the prophet says about this. When you go to a person, that's when the vision starts and you contact their spirit. Like Jesus talking to the woman at the well, he contacted her spirit and then the vision takes place. Again, he says, she said, well, our fathers worship in this mountain and you say in Jerusalem. And the conversation went on at length. Now he says, now you have to take my word for this right here, this part. He was contacting her spirit. The father had sent him there, but he didn't know yet what was gonna take place. So Jesus goes by the leading of the father living in his body but the father did not tell him what he's gonna do. 
So Jesus is just led by the Spirit and he goes up to the wilderness, or to the water rather, and he comes out of the wilderness and comes up to the Samaria, which the disciples were totally uncomfortable even going to because they had no dealings with one another. So he's there and he's just kind of waiting around. Now can you imagine the Lord Jesus not even knowing for sure what yet to do? So he waits and he waits and the woman comes out and he figures it must be something to do with her. So he starts talking to her. Now as he talks, he's trying to contact the communication channel of her being. Now think of it, why didn't he contact her soul? You realize your soul has no memory. Your soul has no conscience. Your soul is not the contact communication channel by which your faults and your past can be found. The soul of a child of God that has once been redeemed no longer holds the memory of your past. Oh, that'll make us all happy. So the prophet, if a person would come up and contact their soul, the soul would have no information to disclose about the scars of the past. You follow me so far? So the Lord Jesus now, he doesn't know what to do and he knows that he's been sent there for a purpose so he starts talking to the woman and uh, you know, uh, uh, bring me a drink. Well, let's start there, I'm a little bit thirsty. So would you, would you care to bring me a drink? Oh, I can tell by looking at you, you're a Jew. Y'all don't have no deans with us. We're Samaritans and then he goes on like that and he, he says, okay, well, go get your husband and we'll, we'll talk about him. Well, I don't have a husband, but by now he has contacted her channel of communication. Now the spirit has imagination, conscience, memory, reason, and affection. So he's contacted the communication channel of her being. Why does he need that for? He needs to find what's stored in her past. He needs to find what hurts are stored and where are they stored in her spirit. You see, I hope you understand, I'm not trying to belittle anyone, any, any brothers uh, in, in the message that mainly emphasize divine healing of the body. I'm not trying to even downplay those that don't really believe in prayer lines. You say, we've got people in the message that don't. We do, yeah, we do. But I also think that there's that other realm that realm of the spirit. Now let me say this, I, I'm not a prophet. Uh, we're not looking for another prophet myself. I'm not sure you all are. I'm not looking for another Gentile prophet because there's no promise in the scripture for one. And I don't believe that we need a prophet to be able to come and discern this and that and the other in our spirit. But I still believe that the word is a discerner. And the word can be able to go in and divide and separate the soul from the spirit and even the spirit from the body to be able to get people into the light of God that the microscope of God can fall upon their wounded part and help them get healing. Shouldn't we all want that for, for ourselves and for each other? Well, whenever Jesus then contacts this woman, he contacts the communication channel of her being. Now the prophet said that he contacted her spirit and when he finally contacted the woman's spirit, 
He went right straight to her trouble. So her trouble, even though her body was acting out this lifestyle, her body was acting out all these different husbands. and She was a very wicked woman when it comes to sexual impurity. But yet the trouble was not actually in her body. Now listen to me. But the trouble laid, of course, in the soul, and the soul controls the spirit, and the spirit controls the body. But the soul, Jesus didn't contact it because the soul does not contain memory. So the soul does not contain imagination. Thank God for the human spirit. Do you understand when people go out of their mind, you know what happens to them? Now, sometimes it can be brain cells, it can be brain matter, it can be the dark matter, it can be different things in the mind itself if it's a physical thing. But if a person goes insane and it is a spiritual insanity, something happens in their spirit. Remember the twin girls and the prophet talked about one of them could take the stress and the trouble of life and the other one couldn't and she lost her mind. So he goes to talk to her, goes into the insane place, and when he goes in there, he gives another example of another lady as well, very similar, and whenever he goes in there, he talks to the girl, and he says, you wanted to be a preacher's wife. You wanted, and a smile come on her face. It broke, changed her spirit. So he said he had to go out and bring that girl's spirit back into her body. She didn't know who she was, She didn't know who her parents was. So her soul was there. It was not because something had happened into her mind that she'd had a stroke and something that damaged her brain, but she was insane because her spirit had took a journey into another world. So the prophet goes out and catches that spirit and brings it back. Once her human spirit come back into her body, why, of course, she would remember who she was. Why? Because memory lays in the spirit. You understand why the world, that the prophet would declare the world is going insane? So they don't know what is right and wrong. Well, where does right and wrong lay? The ability to know that. In your conscience, which is in your spirit. So if the world goes crazy, insane, and their spirit roaming out there in the nether world, wherever it is, will they not come to a spot? They will not know what right is, what wrong is. They won't know who's a man, who's a woman. They won't know black, white, red, yellow. They won't know anything. So then for us to talk to them and they will have no wrong. As I read the other day, this suspect, as I mentioned to you there a while ago, that the man looking back at some of the posts that the man had said about himself, that he could do anything and could say anything and felt no wrong, felt no shame. Whatever he said, whatever he did, well, that shows you that there's something not just physically wrong with that individual, but the spirit itself is roaming out there somewhere because the conscience is no longer there. If you've got a good conscience today, you ought to be thanking God. If you say something wrong and it bothers you, you ought to thank God. If you do something wrong, even think something wrong and it bothers you, that means you still got a spirit. Don't send it away. Now, notice that this woman, she's a very famous character, of course, in the Bible. 
I love the way the prophet says this. He finally contacted the woman's spirit and he went straight to her trouble. So by contacting her human spirit, now he has access to all these five gates which the spirit is made of. So you got imagination, conscience, memory, reason, and affection. And this is why when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that our soul is what is sealed to the day of redemption. Satan still has access to our spirit because our spirit is not sealed. Our spirit can receive blessings from the Holy Ghost and the spirit can get so anointed. We could see visions or prophesy or we could feel the Holy Ghost all over us, but in our spirit, it would come and go, come and go. The spirit is not sealed. The body is not sealed. The soul is what's sealed. So when the soul is sealed, then the body can still remember. How can it do that through your spirit, your past? How many of y'all still remember things you've done that you wish you'd never done in your life? You can remember things. We say, does that mean I'm not forgiven? No, it simply means your spirit still has that access to memory and you know you can recall things that happened to you decades ago. How is that? Because the human spirit has that ability. And you can imagine then each of us as we sit here today and we recall those things and the soul forgiven, the soul justified and the soul born again and sealed by the presence of God. Oh, you say, when will we get an end of it? When God replaces the human spirit with your theophany. Your theophany is what you should have had in the beginning. That's why the prophet tells us that the spirit breaks up when it dies. So you'll no longer need memory. Can you imagine? When you get your theophany, you will no longer ever remember one bad thing you've ever done because it will be taken out of that channel and you'll no longer have the capability of going down memory lane. There is no such a thing in a theophany. So I guess I would think, okay, so what, what made this woman be like this? Now, watch, you know, Brother Branham, whenever he was here, he would do exactly the same thing. And this is one thing that separated him from the rest of the discerners, so-called. A lot of them was guessing, okay, you know, uh, somebody here today has got a pain. Who don't? Uh, uh, somebody's, I, I feel somebody here in the building today is under a lot of stress. I'll raise my hand first. Let's begin here. Uh, you know, and it is more of that general term. But what made Brother Branham's gift so unique was that he would be able to go into the realm of the fourth dimension and be able to see things in people's past years and years ago and be able to go ahead in time and see their future and be able to see their present all at the same time, just in a matter of split second, it go from one to the other to the other. And this is why the Pentecostal people that love gifts, they absolutely wanted that gift more than anything else. But there's only one to a generation. And the prophet of God said, your pastor won't do this, at least if what the angel of the Lord told me is true. And I believe the angel of the Lord told him truth. Well, come on, no sit there and look at me funny now. So if God is going to allow the ministry of the Son of Man, now there's a difference in what Brother Branham did and what God would show men. Does God show me things? Yes, he does. But I'll tell you one reason why I don't make a lot of the things that God shows me public. This is the reason. Because if I do, it will cause people to gravitate to me. Well, don't sit there and look at me Google eyed 
That's exactly what it does. It would cause people, so God shows me things and I deal with it in a more, how can I say it, in a more quiet way. But I will go to this individual, tell them this, that, and the other, or talk to them and watch and and, and do it that way. Instead of doing it on public display, because I saw all of that in Pentecost and I saw what it produces from among them, a bunch of people. Well, come on, don't get quiet. Now, Peter was not a prophet, yet when Ananias walks up to Peter, what does Peter do? Peter tells him something that him and his wife had secretly done. You remember the story, Ananias and Sapphira. So whenever he did that, now Peter was not discerning, but the Spirit of God showed him something. And yet, we don't have any record that Peter went on and on and done that again and again and again. So the Holy Ghost can use an individual one time, two times, three times, five times, but it doesn't mean that they are to do that over and over again. You see, that's where that a lot of the people got into a rut and they felt like once God used them in one time in that way, they had to continuously do it and eventually they'll get in the flesh unless it's a perfect gift. So that's what brings such a reproach on gifts in the first place. Well, what in the world are we doing here this morning? I wasn't gonna preach on gifts. But you see, when when Brother Branham came, it was not just that he had a, a, a little dose of what Peter had. Well, the Lord told him this. No, it was the ministry of the Son of Man, which is Christ himself, which is not the same thing as discernment. Now, I know you'll believe me, you don't think I'd lie to you, that I've sat in my study and talked to people as I did just this past week. And as I sat there feeling the unction of the Holy Ghost, and I sat there and talked to some people, and when I did, the Lord led me right down their life. And I've seen them talking to one another and punching one another. I knew I was right in the channel. But I am not no prophet. And don't expect me to get up here and start doing that today. Does he show you that? He does. Yes, he does. But I'm not here to draw your attention to me. I want to draw your attention to Christ the Word. So don't get in your mind that God's servants are a bunch of ignoramuses and God don't lead them. Yes, God leads them, but they want to make sure what they're doing with what gives them, God gives them is the right way and brings glory to God and not their own flesh. So Brother Branham was totally different now. Same with the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus, he was here as a minister of the Son of Man. So it was a ministry that was put on display so that the public would be able to see it. Same with the prophet himself. So naturally, if it's gonna be the repeat of the Son of Man, it would be the same thing. Then it wouldn't be Jesus saying, uh, uh, um, um, uh, let's, let's see here, um, you've got a problem. Uh, let me see if I can find it here now. Uh, uh, let's see, one minute to, well, you, you've got an issue. Um, let me see here. Um, you, you're rejected by people. That's what it is. You're rejected by people. You wouldn't have to be very smart. All you have to know is their customs. If she come out to draw water by herself, she's rejected of all the rest of the people. Yeah. Now watch. But when the Son of Man would stand there and wait for the vision, the vision would unveil what? The communication channel of this woman. Now watch the same thing with the prophet. You have a Christian spirit, that's right. You could have been an atheist or an infidel. But as soon as you walked up and I contacted your spirit, I seen you was a Christian. Isn't it amazing? It didn't drag out a measure and take measure the length of her skirt. 
or he didn't measure the length of her hair or you know, how often do you pray or how many times do you read your Bible during the day? But what was it that witnessed that this was a child of God? It was her spirit, the communication channel of this woman. Now, every one of us do the same thing. That's why sometimes you get around people that claim to be Christians and you feel really, really strange. How many of you ever been there and done that? You just feel really, really weird. They ain't never said nothing yet, but you just feel so different. Why? The spirit in you clashes with the spirit in them. Now, that don't mean you're supposed to go around discerning everybody, but God's just probably letting you know that so you'll be good and careful. But there's something about children of God that there is a welcoming because the Holy Ghost in you should recognize the Holy Ghost in me. Our problem is not your Holy Ghost not liking my Holy Ghost. The problem is your flesh don't like mine and mine don't like yours. Well, praise the Lord. Now watch this again. He said, the reason I talk to you is to merely contact your spirit so you understand that the microphone is alive. You see, now watch you speaking into the mic. And I've got to contact your spirit first before I can see what's happened in your life. So you imagine when a man would walk up into this, it would have been a treasure trove of past. It would have been a treasure trove of past failures, memories, accomplishments, whatever more that God would allow because you would lay open the life of that individual. Every bit of it stored right there in that human spirit. And no doubt there were predominant things that was there. So he'd see low spots and he'd see spots that really didn't have a major significance. So he would pull out those things that God would show him. I, I see you coming home from school. You're dressed in a, in a yellow checkered dress. I, I see you running. You fall upon the porch. A dog gets after you. Fall through the door. You've been had fear all of your whole life. So what was this? A predominant something there and it opened up. Where was that stored? Not in this woman's soul. Not so much in her body. Remember the woman crossing the railroad track and she'd had an affair and the prophet stood there and told her what it was. She said, don't say that, don't say that. I totally forgot that. Ah. What had happened was the spirit had separated that memory from the cells in her brain. But the spirit still contained that channel. The spirit still contained that channel and when the prophet contacted her spirit, he opened her spirit and went straight in. That'd been plumb scary if it had all kind of garbage in there, wouldn't it? Wow. But you can't hide it. You understand? It's the way you communicate. Oh, my, what in the world am I doing here? But whenever, whenever we break into the realm of supernatural, I hope you understand that right here in this building today, demons and angels are here in this service. They're in the world every day that we live. And we are communicating either to light or to darkness. From where? Not just our mouths. Because sometimes our mouth will say one thing and our soul, our spirit will say something else. But we are pulsating either light or darkness and them demons know who you are. They don't care how much you jump. They don't care how high you high jump up and down and scream and holler and quote the Bible. If you don't live right, they're not afraid of you at all. But from you as a child of God, and you've heard the prophet do it over and over again, that darkness would follow some people. Light would follow others. The darkness could follow a person from their soul. A dark shadow would follow another person, not from their soul, but from their flesh. 
And yet he would see, you are a Christian because I see light coming from you. And then he tells us, of course, and, and souls, or not souls in prison, but Paul a prisoner, that we are shadows of light. So when we are born again, then from our soul emanates what? The light from the pillar of fire. It is that portion of God which you are, which is light meters. Now in you comes this spiritual light as well as the natural light. That's what makes the x-rays in your body. And Satan, that's what he looks at. That's what makes him back off. You think the devil's afraid of me. You think the devil's afraid of Brother Darrell Ward, any other human being. You think the devil's scared of any of us, no matter how much we scream. It ain't that that they look at. It's when we speak and they see something coming out of our mouth that's other than us. And they see a light coming out of a child of God. Now watch, when the prophet would contact them, he would contact their spirit and then the mystery of their life would unfold. So he's communicating with this channel, which is the spirit. So looking at this woman at the well, we see that she, very, very important figure in the Bible, nameless, but very important. What was it that made her the way she was? Now, was she a bad woman, sexually immoral, by choice? That she simply said, I want to live this way, I want to have one husband and another one and another one. I don't want no peace in life. I don't want no home. I don't want no family. I want to be mean, mean, mean. No. She actually never chose that. Listen to this. The prophet says, probably her parents were the delinquent kind that let her go. Poor little girl earned her living by a moral living. You know what I mean? It's the way she had of making a livelihood. We know it was horrible, but we're gonna think that she was turned into that because there was something good behind the woman. It proved it. So she becomes something that had more to do with circumstance than it had to do choice. Does that make sense to you? Why? Because when, when her channel of communication was open and the Lord Jesus shined light upon her, it helped her to see what she really wanted to be. <laughs> Notice again, poor child. Maybe by bad parents let out on the street and she become a prostitute. Let me tell you, there's a lot of bad women. We know that. But you can't have a bad woman without there being a bad man. So there has to be somebody to make her bad. Wow. Somebody to make her bad. And sometimes them kids are turned out by a bad mammy. I mean, knows what a mammy is? Some of you don't know what. What in the world do you call your mother? Okay, it's Southern for mama. Everybody with me now. So a bad mammy. Why is Brother Branham laying the blame on the parents? Because that's where a lot of it lays. Y'all gonna preach to me this morning? Notice this, sometimes them kids are turned out by a bad mammy while she runs 
into the bar rooms. Again, he says, he come to the city in Sychar and he sent his disciples away to buy victuals. And the little woman came out, probably a pretty little woman. Maybe the child was turned out on the street by her parents and let her go anyway about like today. They talk about juvenile delinquency. It's parent delinquency. That's exactly what it is. And maybe this child had the same thing. Her mother let her do anything. And she turned out to be an ill-famed woman. Now, what does this do to us then about our perception of this woman? It helps us to realize that much of what she had become was not just by her being stubborn, hard-headed, but much of what she had received as a child. Uh, this one here, he doesn't mention the woman of the well, but it was so good pertaining to the same thing. I thought the devil might need just a little bit more scorching in this, so I thought I'd go and scorch him with it. We have such juvenile crime wave across the nation, but I really think it started in the home. What in the world would he say about today? What would he say about a six-year-old boy shooting his school teacher? What would he say about a 12-year-old girl stabbing her nine-year-old brother? What would he say about all the crimes that even the prosecuting attorneys, the district attorneys, and many of our legal people, I saw one the other day on YouTube, and he was talking about the six-year-old boy that shot the teacher said, we've never even had such a thing before in Virginia. We don't know where to put them. We don't know where to put them with the adults, with the juveniles. Virginia law will not let them try them as an adult. He said, we frankly don't know what to do. And who's in charge of it? Oh, people say, well, they need more education. Well, a lot of them's more educated than you was and their parents was. Education will not educate the devil out of you. As a matter of fact, sometimes they're gonna put some more educated devil in you. So what do they need? They need a good mama and a good daddy. Well, praise the Lord. Notice the prophet said, I don't say it would be all over if they had that. A child raised up in a good old-fashioned godly home, but it certainly would give that child the right kind of influence. I think many times that the children, the homes they've been brought up, they're turned loose on the street and live for themselves while the mother's in the bar room. They don't take care of the child. Another thing, they don't love it and they don't give it affection to take it up, it's young, you've got to teach it to love. Well, isn't that automatic? Apparently not. You've got to teach it to love, and listen to this other word, and respect, and to read the Bible. So here this woman the channel, when Jesus contacts, and that's why Brother Randall tells me over and over again, you couldn't hide your life right now for nothing. It would have been a scary feeling, would it not? I mean, if you had something to hide, you're saying, oh my God, is mama here? Is daddy here? Is my wife here? Is the husband here? Right, right there it is. Your life is laid right open because you imagine all that laid inside of there, how delicate. This is why only a prophet could be trusted with such a gift of this caliber because you say the wrong thing when you're under that anointing. You've just caused a divorce. You've caused a breakup in the home. Oh, you understand me? Because you see things sometimes that you're not even supposed to share. See things, you have experiences with God that's only meant for you and the Lord. You're not to tell everything you go through. 
You're not to tell every experience you have with God. Some of those things are for you and the Lord only, but yet my, the Lord find, has a hard time trying to find anybody that he can deal with that they don't want to tell everything and anything that he tells them. I say shame on us. I say one of the reasons we don't have more experiences than what we do is that we go around bragging to everybody. We want everybody to know, well, the Lord said this and the Lord said that. Brother Darrell said one time, I see why the Lord ain't got no time to talk to me. He's talking to this brother 24-7. And he tells this man this, and that man, he ain't got no time. My goodness. <laughs> oh, God wants to find people he can trust. So this woman had been hurt as a child. She wasn't taught love that would bear record in the amount of time she was married. It may seem strange to you, but what I've found as a pastor counseling, many times women that have been married, and you watch them as they'll marry an older man, many times they age of their father. And you look at it and say, what in the world would that young woman marry that for? Uh-huh, look back in their life a little bit, and you find she's looking for a fatherly image. I've seen it many, many times. And yet, why? Why would it be? Because something was missing. And the communication channel of that individual is reaching out in the channel of what? Affection. Affection. So it was not met. Many of you understand. You've had families that way and members that you know yourself. And they come that very same way. So we look at Bathsheba, and most of us will never be hurt in the way that she was, but yet all of us come to the earth and as we go through our journey, we get hurt. One of the most painful hurts is hurt by friends. Anybody ever been hurt by friends? I found the solution to never be hurt by friends. You want the answer? Don't have any. Oh, but myself, I can't live that way. I can't live without friends and love. Maybe you can. Maybe you can go back in the cave and live like a hermit. I can't. I have to be loved and I have to love. I have to have friends and I have to show friendship. I mean, understand what I'm saying. So then when we have friends, it comes with a risk. That one or both or all of your friends eventually may hurt you. And then you say, I wish I'd have never even had them as my friend. Now, I'm sure nobody here has ever been hurt by friends, of course, except for me. But yet I'll go ahead and preach it for some of these sorry people that stream these services. Maybe we get to the new church, all them people that's got so many faults will quit streaming us so we can just preach about heavenly angels and oh my, it's great divine things. Of course, none of y'all wouldn't get to come. And I wouldn't get to preach to you. Because I know I don't live there either. So when we get hurt by friends or family, my, it can be some of the deepest scars that we bear. And our Lord Jesus understands that hurt. In Zechariah 13, 6, prophecy speaking of him. And one shall say unto him, what are these wounds? in thy hands, then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Imagine the Lord Jesus allowing himself to be hurt by friends 
So when you young people would get hurt by friends and cry and get your heart broke, you could go to the Lord Jesus and he'd say, I understand. How many's ever been hurt by friends? You know, David was also hurt by friends. The thing is, when we get hurt, what will we do with the hurt? For many people, they turn in. By that I mean they turn in on themselves and they bring their feelings, their trust. The scripture says, a brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city. And their contention are like the bars of a castle. So if we ever get hurt deeply, what most people tend to do is build a wall around that part of us and we'll never let anybody else ever come that close. You ever be around people like that and it's like you can get so close and they'll never let you get any closer. Well, no doubt they've been hurt by someone and hurt deeply and what you're bumping up against is that wall that they have around themselves and they think they will protect themselves but actually they're letting the devil rob them because until that wall comes down, you'll never be able to love right. You'll never be able to, to be able to really relate to others. This may surprise you. But even to God, until that thing is broken away from your life. I want you to notice that David had come to this trying time in his life after the situation with Bathsheba. Now he's been married to her for some time. And the scripture that we want to read is 2 Samuel 15, 2. And it is Absalom. And you know, Absalom was one of David's favorite sons. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. Now watch. Absalom was one of the king's sons. So he was a prince but yet he was not ordained or not anointed by God to ever become king. You see, God did not let the children of Israel vote for who their king would be, as we do in politics, but God would send the prophet and the prophet would anoint him. But Absalom had this something about him. And you can read his history course and find out it must have been very difficult having all these women and having all these half-brothers and half-sisters and Lord Jesus, I'm glad we don't believe in polygamy. Now, noticing, so Absalom has this desire in him, even though he's not anointed to be king, and prophetically, no prophet ever went to him, but he wanted to be king. He wanted to be king. Now, watch what he would do. So when people would come in for the judgment, uh, this is after he's been reinstated into David's fellowship, after killing his brother Amnon, then he starts to stand outside near the city gate. When a person would come in and say, well, where are you from? I'm from Elizabeth and I'm from Johnson City. I'm from Gray. And he would say, and Absalom said unto him, see, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed, which means set up in position of, deputed, of the king to hear thee. Now watch what he's doing. And Absalom said, moreover, oh, that I were made judge in the land. Now watch what he's gonna do. 
Oh, that I were made judge in the land that every man which hath a suit or a cause might come to me and I would do him justice. Oh. He's running for president, ain't he? That's a politician right there, if I ever heard one. Now, what does he do? He appeals to that part about humanity which wants to be recognized personally by leaders. That's something in humanity that wants that something to be identified. So here's Prince Absalom, and he's standing out there at the gate. Now, more than likely, you didn't see David out there because David was so busy and had so much going. So here, Absalom saw this window that was open. Now, remember, still dealing with a lot of pain and a lot of anxiety. David was from all that he went through. So whenever he would come through, he said, oh, I wish that I could be a judge. Oh, I'll tell you one thing. If I could be that boy, how I would help God's people. I'm telling you what, I, I, I would just do such great things and I would do him justice. Now watch verse five. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do obeisance, so this is the prince now, so this is what you do. You would come up and you would do obeisance to the prince. But watch what Prince Charming does. He put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. So now here they are, they're coming up to the prince to bow to the prince, but the prince grabs them by hand. So Brother Jonathan comes up and he grabs him and, and instead of him allowing him to bow, oh no, Absalom reaches and grabs him and says, come here my brother and kiss him on the side of the face. Wow, can you imagine going home telling your mama can you imagine going back to your little old insignificant village? You've never even shook David's hand your whole life. You've never even had a personal talk with David, but here Absalom shook your hand and wouldn't even let you bow before him and stopped you. Oh my. That appeals to this right here. Now you dear little angels that are with us today, you pardon me while I speak to some of these sorry outfits that's streaming. It's probably some of them down in South Africa and over in Switzerland and you know, some of them poor old things over there. They're not blessed like us Americans with so much humility. Now notice what the Bible says. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole, stole, stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now, let me just make sure that you understand. Absalom is not just a preacher type. Absalom can be one in your own family. Absalom can be just about anybody. But they begin to speak words smooth as butter, David said. How many of our girls have been polluted by some sorry outfit boy that didn't even want to live right and didn't want to come to church? Well, go ahead and preach, Brother Donnie. And was there long enough to get them married and then wound up pulling them out of church? Mama. Now notice what he does. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, verse 12. The Gilonite, David's counselor, from his city, even from Gilo where he offered sacrifices and the conspiracy was strong. 
for the people increased continually with Absalom. This never ceases to amaze me how dumb people can be. You gotta be kidding me. This man had not been anointed. This man had not been approved by God and yet this is growing and growing and growing and then we find this man by the name of Ahithophel. Anybody remember who he is? Bathsheba's grandfather. Ah. Now you wonder if he's got an agenda, a personal something against David. Now as I was laying in the bed this morning a few minutes after three and unable to go back to sleep, and I began to think about Bathsheba, and I thought, my goodness, poor woman. Here she goes again, back into this other stage of trauma in her life, that her husband is now going to be driven from Jerusalem. This rebellion got so great, started with the northern tribes, and it got so great against God's anointed king. Now what's David, a true, true man that loved God and loved his people. Now this is after his mistake, remember, that David said instead of causing Israel to fight and divide the kingdom of Israel, I'll just leave. That's a real man. I'll just leave. So David gets his counselors, he gets his soldiers, those that are personal bodyguards, his mercenaries, and he gets those and he gets his family, his wives, and David starts to leave in order to keep peace and keep people from dying. Hmm. So here goes poor Bathsheba. Now she hears her grandfather has joined with Absalom. Oh my goodness. So here she goes again. Now another part. And some of you all thought you all had the most drama in your life. (laughs) Notice what the Bible says then. The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. So there comes a messenger in verse 13, and tells David the the hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. Verse 31, and one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Now, if it wasn't bad enough that David's own son is causing this revolt. One of David's closest friends, one of David's closest advisors joins in the rebellion, which is his wife's grandfather. So how are you gonna go home at night and talk about that? If your wife is your best friend, you talk to her just about everything, don't you? Well, you got to have somebody to talk about cramps about. <laughs> so you imagine that now, David, David, don't get me going, don't get me. Now, you know I love him and you know that I think so much of him, but you have to wonder what his agenda was. 
this man was a powerful influence and sway over the children of Israel. And Absalom sent for him. Can I go on? I'm glad you said that because I was going to anyway, but it's just nicer when y'all. Now watch. Oh, my children. And one told David saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. How do you and I respond if such things would happen to us? I pray after this service, we'll respond this way. And David said, that sorry dog, I'll hang him, I'll do this and that and the other, I'll never let him live, and I'll tell you one thing, go get him, somebody go get him. And David said, oh Lord, I praise thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now this news comes, notice how it's synchronized the greatest trial of his life. David has already lost an element of his prestige, his honor, his respect because of his adultery. Now his own son is raising in revolt against him. Have you ever noticed when it rains, it pours? So you get one bit of bad news and you think, Whew, I'm glad that's over. Oops, here comes more. And there's another. And there's, you imagine David is so distraught and he's saying, God, what have I done? Lord, will I never pay? Will this never stop? Please help me. And then somebody comes and tells him, Ahithophel has joined with him. Says, oh, no, not him. He was one of my dearest, closest Friends, what I find so amazing about this is David's reaction to this was divine. So his reaction to the bad news was pray. Now this prayer to you may sound very selfish, but David is thinking not so much about himself as he is the kingdom. He doesn't seize what pain, what reproach he's brought upon the body. He don't want to be the cause again, Harry, for more to come. God, may his counsel turn to foolishness. Listen to the contents of that prayer. This is the exact opposite of what this man was famous for. This man was known for his counsel. It was so precise, so perfect, albeit God answered his prayer. I figure most of us would be a whole lot better off if we'd spend less time on Facebook and spend more time with our face in the book. Praying for our enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use us. Turn the other cheek. And if they sue you for your coat, give them your shirt. Give me britches if they want them. Just be sure you got some more to put on. They want your shoes, go ahead and give them your galoshes at the same time. But instead, if we're not careful, we think of resent and revenge and how we can get even with them. 
Well, I'm gonna go ahead and preach. Amen, this is really helpful, but. Now, you know, it's amazing because the people for whom, remember David had fought for these people. How many times had David risked his life in battle for these people and they turned from David and go to this egotistical leader which God has never approved. Oh my goodness. Notice, oh my, his prayer, God turn his counsel into foolishness. You know, it was heard by the queen of Scotland. I found this, I thought it was so interesting, I want to read it to you that she feared, more feared, the prayers of John Knox, which was a preacher of the Presbyterian move. She feared the prayers of John Knox more than any army she had ever faced. (laughs) The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Can I have a few more minutes? I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but Psalms 41.9, turn that and we'll read there. Also, Psalms 55.12 are written along this same avenue, speaking of Ahithophel. Notice this, Psalm 41.9. Now, both of these also have a compound meaning or a double fulfillment in that they was fulfilled in David, but also in the Lord Jesus. This is a messianic psalm here, verse nine, 41, nine. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Of course, speaking of Ahithophel, but also speaking of Judas. And I dare say, probably speaking of some of you. Someone, or more than one, someone that you've loved and fellowshiped, and maybe you confided in, and shared things that you thought was a dear friend, and come to find out they told that secret of yours, and it devastated you. Left you to where you're not even sure you can trust anybody anymore. Well, I'll tell you, depends on what you do with these hurts and these scars. You can let them control you or you by the spirit of God can control them and tell them they are not your master. They are not your God. They are not your Lord nor your king. Notice again, same context, different verse, chapter and verse, Psalm 55, 12. For it was not an enemy that reproached me then I could have borne it. Now watch how David deals with the contrast. If it would have been a Moabite or a Philistine, such as Goliath, that would have cursed me by his gods. If it would have been a Moabite person, if it had been an Ammonite, if it had been somebody like that, he said, if it was not an enemy that reproached me, then could I have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. 
I would have hid myself from him. You see, that's exactly what David had done when Saul come against him. He hid himself because Saul had made him an enemy, David. When the Lord Jesus in the book of John, when the Pharisees had come to get the Lord Jesus, and what did he do? The Bible says Jesus just walked right among them. Somehow he disappeared or put a veil over them where they couldn't see him, and he walked right among them, right through them, and they never even knew he was there. And David said, had it been somebody like that, I would have just simply hid myself. And if it had been a scribe or a Pharisee or an Essene, the Lord Jesus could have hid himself. But how do you hide from one who knows where you pray? But do you ever find Jesus on the throne or in the book of Acts going through all of this about how sad he was and how depressed he was and how down he was because Judas betrayed him. It's amazing when you study this, if you'd like to read it sometimes. In Psalms 52, David's presence in Nob had been disclosed to Saul by Doeg the Edomite. In Psalm 54, David had been betrayed by the people of Zip, Z-I-P-H, by his own countrymen. So what we're leading up to is Psalm 52, Psalm 54, and then we come to the ultimate betrayal, which is Psalm 55, which is the betrayal of an intimate friend. Look, friend, whenever you and I look at this today, we have to realize we are all subject to such things as this. The question is, will it happen? It's when will it happen? And what will we do about it when it does? Amen. I wish my lot in life was not to be a preacher. I wish my lot in life, if I had to be a preacher, would have been one like some of my brothers where you could preach all kinds of sermons and wind up not making too many people mad. I really don't understand that feeling. Must be blissful. Must be very happy. My lot in life as a preacher, I was given a big, long, sharp sword, sharp on both sides, so it cuts you and me at the same time. I was given a lot in life which was not one desire, but one controversial. I've been hurt, I've been run down, I've been cast out by my friends. I've stood at times in this message when if it wasn't for the local brothers of our church, hardly a preacher would even speak to me. Preachers wouldn't even call me for meetings. It ain't been that many years ago that they all quit calling me for meetings. So how many of them do you hate today, Brother Donnie? None. Why? I refuse for that to control me. Come on, children. I refuse for what people do to me to let me control that. I am going to control it as a son of God. I'm not standing here telling you something today that is an impossibility. I'm standing here telling you something that is a personal victory for me over and over and over again. Oh my.
Can you imagine as David walks into this, watch this, he writes about the same situation with Ahithophel on down in verse 20. He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. My friend has put forth, I was at peace with him. I had no, no war with him. And David says, you know, look what he's done with me. He's broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil. This old boy met a good politician, wasn't he? Yet they were drawn swords. Boy, boy, isn't that amazing? It takes the Holy Ghost to help us whenever people's butter in their words and all in their words and the Spirit of God lets you hear it. It goes, you say, I don't think olive oil does that. I don't think butter does that whenever you go to draw on it from the stick, does it? But this man's words were so smooth. Ahithophel, such were the words of Ahithophel. Such were the words of Judas when he comes and grabs the door to heaven and says, Hail, Master! And kissed the door to heaven and went to hell. Verse 12, we'll wind up here just momentarily. For it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man, mine equal. My guide. The Hebrew word there is aloof, which means my intimate friend, my guide, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. We walked into the house of God. I mean, this is somebody you went to church with. He said, if you could trust anybody, you could trust her. She was a good sister. She loved the Lord. And yet, look how she hurts you. This young man, oh, he's a fine Christian. He'd often ask him up to pray and oh, he wound up hurting you so deeply and you went to church together and you sang together in the youth choir. How could he do that? We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. Oh, David, what are you gonna do? And he all remember the end of Ahithophel? Now this story goes on. You see, for those who joined in this rebellion, their end was not good. Because they were standing against God's anointed king. Now maybe Absalom said, my daddy committed adultery, glory to God, it ain't right. Maybe Ahithophel got up there and he took his text, I'd like to preach tonight on an adulterous king. And I want to tell you, God, don't go along with no king. Can I get to it? Somebody say, amen. Somebody say, amen, glory to God. I never did like David know how. I'll tell you one thing, he's too big for his britches. He's king this and king that. He can sing, he can shout, he can jump. He can do all them things. A man after God's own heart, yeah, right. So there was another counselor called Hushai. Hushai came to David bowed before him and said, oh my king, 
let me go with you. He said, who shall I? Will you serve the king with all of my heart? My allegiance belongs to you. He said, then I want you to go back to the court of Absalom and be one of his counselors. Oh, great king, no, no, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. You will be my counselor and you will confound, what is it? God setting up the answer to David's prayer. So Ahithophel gives advice. Hushai comes back with opposite advice. And Ahithophel realizes his days are numbered. Remember the end? Remember the end? He hangs himself. What a terrible way to die. Your legacy ruined Down through history, he's been preached as this betrayer and taken his life. Couldn't forgive, couldn't forgive David for his wrong. Held a grudge, held an alt. But look at David. David prays. There's one thing about David, he had plenty of mistakes, but you gotta admit it, the guy knew how to repent. Don't you want to know how to repent? Listen. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Terry. <laughs> now, friends, the question is this. All of that being said to come to this. What will you do? Brother Louis, what will you do? What will you do, Brother Matthew? What will you sisters do when people hurt you, turn against you, run you down, say things that's not even true? Will you pray for them like David did? Will you pray? Are you more concerned about the message body and the church body are you concerned about your own agenda? Oh, may God help us. Wounded in the house of our friends. Can you imagine as David, whenever the news comes to him, a runner comes, it winds up in a war, division comes, the tribes divide. David is out of Jerusalem now. Absalom goes into the concubines, lays with the concubines. Then they rally and they start a war. Remember, it was Absalom that started the war against David. Not wise. You don't attack an anointed servant of God. Think you'll ever get ahead. You are cutting your own throat. Touch not mine anointed. And do my prophets no harm. But somehow Absalom thinks he can do it. Remember they send them out. Joab, Abner, here comes all the army coming out. And David says, watch the young man, watch the young man. Be careful, be careful, don't spare his life, spare his life. Do you remember he got, had real thick bushy hair. And he went riding on the back of his mule. And he got his hair hung in the branches of the oak. When they come up, they find him hanging there 
by his hair. They don't come and spare him. They don't come and give him grace. But each one of them take their sword and ram it in him till his blood gushes out and covers the ground. What a terrible thing. Here comes a runner telling David, David, how goes the battle? How, what about the young man Absalom? What about the other? I don't know. I don't know. I left and they're still fighting. Another one coming. What about Absalom? Oh, may all the enemies of my Lord the King be as that young man. David goes to the gate, starts weeping, howling. Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, would to God. I died for thee. Yeah. You see, even when he'd done wrong and the wrath of God turned on him, David wasn't dancing. Ha, ha, ha. God, I got rid of that devil. His heart is broken. I love it when we rejoice. I love it when we cry. I love it when we shout and run. But this right here will be my favorite time when Word of Life Church can come to a spot that we will not rejoice when our enemies fall. No matter if they've stole money from you, they've called you a liar, whatever it is they've done, but you will feel like David. You'll say, I hope they made peace with God. Then you know what, friends, as your pastor, I'll say, Lord, that's how to serve and depart in peace. I believe it's time we sit down. I believe I can retire. Man alive, I'm 66 years old. How long do I have to preach? You know what they say they do to old, old, old preachers, don't you? They put them out to pastor. No pun intended. I know we're getting close to a body change when we can love our enemies. We can pray for them that keep us awake at night. And we don't pray for wrath and vengeance. What will you do with your scars, woman at the well? What will you do with your scars, little David? Let's bow our heads together. Help us, Lord. How many like to be remembered today before the Lord? God bless your hearts. Look, friends, I know it can be so tough. People run you down, talk about you. You just don't understand why they do it. I know it can be tough. But whatever you do, don't let that thing destroy you. People don't treat you right. It's just amazing to me how Christians will take hearsay and repeat it. And don't even go to the person that's being accused and ask them the truth of it. It's unbelievable the lies that people have told on me through the years. And very few people have had enough respect for you to even ask you theirself. Do you understand as you respect God's servants, so your prophet said, as you respect God's servant, that's the way you respect God. So if you receive a lie against the servant of God, you're receiving one against God. Not just preachers, but let's bring it on down to the body. Men, women, boys, girls. No wonder James said, be swift to hear, slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Oh, hallelujah. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, I'm sure if our spirits have been opened today by the great discerner, we don't need psychology to try to sit down and open us up. And we, we know that's what psychologists do. They use the psyche. The psyche is the mind, the prophet tells us. So they open up things about us and they want to figure out this and that and the other. That's what therapists will do. They'll try to figure out where do we get these scars and why do you have that resentment of this and that and the other. And for some it only makes it worse because they open it up and then they ain't got the answer to help cure it. So for some of our sisters, if I've heard it before, who've went to some of these and they go to ask them, why do you wear them dresses? Why do you go about that long hair? Some of these therapists here in Johnson City have told some of them they need to cut their hair and get rid of them dresses and get them some pants. And they don't need to obey their husbands no more. But Lord God, we don't want to open spirits today and give psychology or intellectual speeches. But may the Holy Ghost go down in each wounded, hurt person today, Father. Bring healing to us, Jesus. Oh, Lord God, I pray, Father. How many emails and texts have I got in the last few weeks of people from different parts of the world who've been carrying things for 10, 15, 20 years and the word has set them free. Oh, Jesus Contact my spirit, Lord. Contact the spirit of your bride today. Heal us, Lord. Heal us of our desires to get even with people or revenge or jealousy or hatred. Help us, Father, I pray. Oh, Lord, some of these in life, if they would have had a choice, they would have no doubt chosen easier paths than what they walked. Some of them have been abused, not just physically, maybe mentally, psychologically, verbally. Oh, Lord God, may you touch every heart today, I pray. Jesus, we know that we'll always remember these things that's been done to us. But we believe you can so heal us, Father, that it'll no longer stir up anger. Lord, when we were just little kids and mama had packed us a little picnic to go out behind the house for a picnic in the woods, we'd been through those woods many times, but little did we know we would encounter a stranger there that day that would change our lives. That stranger was a four-legged stranger, a rabid fox as it started running up and down the hills and knocked mine and Harry's little sister down, Kim, <clears throat> started nibbling on her arms. And Lord, me being the oldest, I felt it was my responsibility to protect her, so I grabbed a little old pocket knife out of my pocket and started after that fox. And he grabbed me by the hand and 
laid my hand wide open. <clears throat> my hand started <clears throat> pouring the blood and my hand went numb. My siblings took off running and I'll come up behind the last one because the fox was still there running around, terrified, scared to death. But yet, Lord, I still have that right hand today that that fox bit so many years ago. But I'm so glad that wound has not been open all those years since I was 10 or 11 years old, something like that. Nobody would want to be around me if that was an open wound. I told my mom and daddy as we were going to the doctor that day, if I go mad, mama, please don't let me bite none of the kids. Because our grandmother, mom, had told me a story. Harry remembers it well. About a person that had rabies. And they had to chain the individual to a bed. Because they went out of their mind. So that formed a fear in me. So here I am, the little boy, bit by a rabid fox. I know they wouldn't be able to relate to it maybe, but something similar. I could see myself chained to a bed with a chain. And I asked my mom and daddy, please don't let me bite the kids because I was afraid I was going mad. So stories affect us. Things we hear, things we learn, things we go through. But now, Lord, as I have my left hand stroking across that part of my right hand, what I feel is not blood. What I feel is not an open gash. What I feel is a scar that Dr. McCarg sewed up years and years ago. And I remember seeing that doctor, a very gruff type of a man, and as he sewed up my hand, the tears trickled out of his eyes and fell down on my hand. We had to go to his house every day for 14 days to get shots in our stomach to keep us from going mad. Oh, Dr. Jesus, we want to bring our scars up to you today. Wounds from friends, wounds from families. We don't want to go mad as it were. We see what Satan's doing to the world. We don't want to be chained with chains of darkness. Dr. Jesus, we're coming to your house. Harry didn't get bit, so they thought Harry was okay, so the doctor began to ask, was anybody else bit? We said, no, no. He said, did anybody else have an open wound? And Harry had a sore on his body. And the doctor said, have somebody to bring him up, excuse me. For if he would get just the saliva of that fox in that wound, he could contact rabies. That's how contagious sin is. Maybe some of them haven't been bit this hard, but they've got an open wound and just a little bit of saliva of that mad devil fox. Just for good measure, we're going to bring them too. All of us, beginning with the preachers, down to the deacons, the trustees, our elders here in the church, all of us, we just want to make a trip up to Papa's house and ask you to help us, Lord. 
That day, Lord God, later in the day, the fox hunters around that country brought their dogs. They started hunting that fox. My uncle finally shot it, my daddy's brother, out of a tree. Does anybody here know foxes don't even climb trees? That fox was so out of its mind. For years, you remember, Lord, I was terrified of foxes. Scared to death to even see one on the side of the road. But now I've got 10 or 12 of them probably, mounted taxidermies, all different colors, all different breeds. Why? My fear's gone. My fear's gone. We used to fear death. We used to fear so much. But the new birth has taken the fear of dying away from us. Now may you help us with the fear of our tomorrows. The fear, well, the, this friend will do this and this will do that. Help us, Jesus. Oh, Lord God, would you minister to us today, Father? If we'd go to our physician tomorrow and say, Doc, I need a vaccine for my spirit. No doubt he'd look at us or she and think this person is mentally deranged. But I wonder if they only knew a lot of the people they see, the damage is stored in their spirit. We worship you today, Jesus. Let's just sing something together. Hey, you believe you have faith today to be able to reach out and touch the hem of his garment, maybe to heal a wound in your spirit. Resentment, lack of trust, whatever it is. And he believes you can touch him today by your faith in his promise. Change my heart, oh God.
With all your heart, mold me, Lord. Mold me and make me, Lord. Hallelujah. Don't let our scars mold us. Don't let our past mold us. Would you mold us, Lord? Make it ever true.
Thank you, Jesus. Who can know the heart, the prophet said. Who can know the heart? Thank you, Jesus. Oh, the heart, oh God. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The joy. Hallelujah. God bless you, saints. Love you in the Lord. Got some more inspections coming up this week. Let's pray the Lord to give us favor. We might be able to have church in the new place Sunday. Hopefully. Love you in the Lord. Do you appreciate the word this morning? Absolutely. Certainly appreciate Brother Donnie obeying the Lord. Appreciate the Lord business here. Amen. We have needs and God's been faithful to meet us right here, is he not? Just appreciate it. Aren't you glad he found that you were worth saving? Mm-hmm. Let's sing that as we go this morning. Remember the service is Wednesday night. You thought I was worth saving. So you came and changed my life. You thought I was worth keeping. So you cleaned me up inside. You thought I was to die Sacrifice your life so I could be free, I could be whole, I could tell everyone I know. You thought I was worth saving, so you came and changed my life. You thought I was worth keeping, so you cleaned me up inside. You thought I was to die for 